Welcome or welcome back to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about mindset, inspiring stories, and plant-based nutrition. And today's guest, Caroline Gleick, is no exception in the category of inspiring stories. Caroline is a professional ski mountaineer and adventurer. Ski mountaineering, wow. To me, that is something that is very intimidating because you go out into the backcountry in the winter and you hike and climb and get your way to the top of some of the biggest mountains in the world. And then you ski down. And in some cases, you're skiing down lines that no one's ever skied before or no woman's ever skied before. And something really interesting that Caroline accomplished this year is that she was the first woman and the fourth person ever to ski all 90 lines in the shooting gallery. The Shooting Gallery is a guidebook to the Wasatch, which is in Utah by Andrew McLean. And some of those lines are more than 40%. And again, Caroline was the first woman and the fourth person to ever ski all of them. And it took her several years to do it. Caroline's been on the cover of multiple ski magazines. She's been a part of a lot of the different movies about skiing, including Warren Miller films. And she's done some other interesting adventures. I found on her website that she skied the three highest peaks in Ecuador in just one week. She skied off the highest volcano in North America, and she's always looking for new adventures. She does a really good job documenting them. There's always really cool films coming out about her, and she does an amazing job on all of her social media channels sharing her story. She's not just there posting professional photos, but you really feel like you know Caroline whenever you follow her, and she has amazing photos, so it always makes me want to go out and do something fun outside. This is a really interesting show. I really look up to Caroline as a female athlete and a female leader. And in the show, we talk about her adventures, but we also talk about women's leadership in sports. We talk about the pressures and fears being a ski mountaineer because sometimes you're in places where it can be a life or death situation. So knowing when to turn back and knowing when to push. We talk about cyberbullying. Caroline Gleick has over 100,000 followers, so she's had her fair share of bullies. So how do we deal with that? She's very transparent and she talks about how she found ski mountaineering and how she's found her journey as an athlete. I really like connecting with Caroline because we also talked about how it can be really lonely sometimes to be a professional endurance athlete. You're always trying to find projects and a lot of times you're training by yourself. So it's always good to build connection and for all of us to know that we're not alone. I'm hoping to get her out on the mountain bike when the summer rolls back around. But right now I'm watching all of her adventures today. She was just climbing up some mountain up to 15,000 feet to ski down, which is something I've never done before. I've been up that high, but with my bike and I was walking down in the snow, not nearly as fun as skiing down. How are things going, you guys? Christmas is just around the corner, and I'm sure that if you're anything like me, you've been going to some holiday parties and trying to resist too much alcohol and too much delicious treats. And that's something that we talk about in the Plant Power Tribe, which is my Facebook group. Everybody's welcome. It's a Facebook group about healthy living. So all you have to do is go to Facebook, type in Plant Power Tribe with Sonia Looney, and we will approve you and you'll be in. Everybody likes having support around you, and that really helps me stay on track, especially around the holidays and especially when there are extra things around even whenever I'm making them like almond flourless chocolate brownies and banana bread which I ate too much of this weekend but don't tell anybody. If you're a fan of the show and want to support my work there's a number of ways that you can do it. The first and the easiest is just to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and to share the show with your friends. The second way to do it and this is also very helpful is to support the show financially. And I have a website on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. 
And any amount will make a difference. Even $1 a week will make a difference to help improve the show and help bring better quality guests. So thank you so much to those of you who are already contributing. It makes a difference and I really appreciate it. And something else, something super cool that most people don't know is that I have a hoodie that just came out. Primal made it. It's really cool. I made a men's and a women's version. It has a little mountain logo with sunshine on it and the rest of it is just blue and gray. So there's a link to it in the show notes if you're interested. Might be a good Christmas gift, but I just wanted to give you guys a heads up. But that's enough for me. Let's talk with Caroline. Let's hear all about her ski mountaineering adventures and her amazing life. Here is Caroline Gleick. Hey, Caroline, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's so funny. I've been following you online for so long and we've exchanged a few messages, but it's fun to actually get to talk with you. Yeah, you know, it's so funny, like how the Instagram or these other social media networks, they really bring us like-minded outdoor people together. And it's funny because when you follow someone for a while, you really feel like you know them. I know. I'm sure that you definitely have that happen as you travel around and people come up to you and it feels like to them that they know you and you're like, oh, hello. I just we just met. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Sometimes that happens and I always try to like get their name and I like to hear a little bit about their story because um, sometimes it definitely I wouldn't be able to keep up with as many people as follow me. (laughs) It's a lot of people. I mean, even when it's just like, you know, friends of friends or an extended network, it is kind of a crazy age that we live in where we're so connected to so many people at the same time. Yeah, it's so true. And it's also interesting, though, because we're so connected online, but then from a human element, we're, I feel like sometimes we lose human connection, like we stop looking at people in the face when we're talking to them because we're looking at our phone or you're at the checkout line at the grocery store and there's a person right in front of you. And sometimes we just kind of forget that. Yeah, I totally feel that too. I mean, I've definitely had my struggles. I think that actually a lot of endurance athletes struggle with like, I mean, a lot of ups and downs through life, you know, like, especially you get home from a big trip and you have all this unpacking to do. And it's like, uh, you some, I sometimes go to a dark place and it can be really alienating this digital world where we live in, where it's like, there's all these people here, but if you're sick and you're stuck at home, there's like no one to bring you soup. Like, it's a really weird problem. It's a really weird feeling for sure. Yeah. And also, I mean, we spend so much time training by ourselves and then with our travel schedules, it's, it's hard to really nurture your friendships at home. So when you come home, it's like, you haven't seen your friends in so long and yeah, it's an interesting world. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I'm always trying to find the balance with all of those things and to make sure that I take time away from my phone or even take my watch off so I'm not constantly getting notifications. I think it's something we have to be increasingly mindful of. Yeah. So let's chat a little bit about how you got into skiing. I'm not sure if everyone's familiar with you and I'm excited about that because you're such a positive and awesome force to have in your life and in our lives. So I want to hear about how you got into skiing and specifically ski mountaineering. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, I mean, now I'm really fortunate that I can make my living as an athlete, but I actually grew up, I grew up in Minnesota and my family, we'd only ski really like on vacations and maybe occasionally on the weekends, but I never skied competitively. But, um, skiing was one of those things that really captured my imagination from a young age. 
And it was something that I always wanted to do at a professional level. But um, I didn't really start trying to achieve that until I was 18 years old, until I graduated from high school and moved out of my parents' house. And I would just ski as much as I could while I was going to college and while I was working and just like started working with photographers and trying to make ski films and kind of going the film, photo, storytelling route because I didn't really, it would have been really difficult for me to start the career as a competitive skier. Yeah. So how do people become a professional skier? I mean, you mentioned that that you have been creating videos and content and skiing some rad places. But in biking, you kind of have to come up through the ranks through races. But is that how it works in skiing? Well, there's a lot of different kinds of sponsored skiers. And so, I mean, there's definitely like racing is huge in Europe. And that's definitely one way that you can get sponsors for sure. And then there's big mountain competitions as well. Those aren't as like popular or widespread in the United States. And so even if you are really good at those kind at those big mountain or free skiing competitions, you still probably have to do the same kind of hustle that you would do to make a living. So I guess that kind of stuff is like, it really comes down to catering to brands and uh, delivering like goods and services that they will appreciate. It's like all about the brand, really. Like I work with Patagonia, REI, Keen, Jilbo, Lecky, Cliff Bar, Movement Skis. And that's how I make my income. And so most of my time is coming up with ideas and projects and goods and services, you know, that will serve my brands. Yeah, that's really cool for you to to hear that from the skiing side, because I feel like on the cycling side, and I've personally experienced this, that the role of sponsors and sponsorship has changed over the years. In biking, it used to be so focused on results, but now it's very much focused on help building brand through your own personal brand and how you can tell stories around the products that, that you're using. And in the cycling world, it used to be that if you're not a pro, you can't really get sponsors but now it's kind of shifting and you can be like a fast pro rider but if you don't have cool adventure stories to tell it's much harder to get sponsored yeah and i think also it opens the door for like more diversity of voices to be contributing to this world of sport because i think that at the root of the sports that we do there is this spirit of adventure and so it's cool to be able to make a living not having to chase the competitive side of things but being able to stick to the spirit of adventure and exploration yeah and just that there's a path to sponsorship or a path to making a living for a lot of different people too so that like maybe before social media it wasn't as easy for as many people to be able to make a living in this world Yeah, and it's great that by doing what we do, and specifically what you're doing, you can really set an example and a different path, like you just said, for people. And you sort of had to blaze your own trail with when you started skiing when you're 18. I mean, that that wasn't in the, the realm of marketing that we're in now. So you had to come up with your own way of doing that. And that's really cool, because that helps other people who are maybe following and starting to get into skiing now. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the my parents, when I graduated from high school, and I mean, even now, they're like, we had no idea that you could make a living doing what she does. Like, it wasn't something that was in their mind at all. And it is definitely really challenging, though. And it can be really stressful. And there's a lot of pressure. And sometimes 
very rarely, but occasionally the thought creeps into my mind where I'm like, oh, I kind of wish I had a job where I could just leave my job at the end of the day and go home and not have to worry about all the stress of creating the next, you know, six months of projects and putting it all together because it is a little overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I think that people don't really understand the full scope of work that goes into being a professional athlete. And it, from the outside, it looks like, you know, biking or skiing or doing all these rad adventures. But really, you spend a lot of time at your computer and there's a lot of writing proposals, a lot of rejection. And it isn't as easy as it looks, but um, it's worth it. But how, how do you deal with the rejections and how do you deal with the stress of not knowing what's coming next or not knowing maybe what the next year is going to look like? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm still figuring out how to deal with that stress right now. <laughs> yeah. And especially like when you do accomplish a big, you like, especially like after finishing a big goal or bringing to life a huge project, like I definitely feel a huge sense of emptiness and like, I don't know. I mean, that's a question I'm always trying to answer for myself of, yeah, how to deal with all of that. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to crumble from the pressure. Um, but, you know, meditation and, and stuff like that helps a little bit and yoga and just trying to remember that things will happen when they need to happen. And it's a fine line of like forcing things along and then like waiting for the mountains to speak to you and to be truly inspired by what you're doing. You know, it's like those kinds of projects don't come like every month or so sometimes you do have to kind of take a step back and go into more of a introverted phase and yeah, come up with the next authentic inspiration, I guess. Yeah, it's hard. It's a tough balance between future thinking and planning and then being present and being happy with what you have now and what you've just accomplished. Because if you're somebody that's always chasing the next big dream, it's really hard whenever you are done with one. And then to celebrate that without thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do next? How am I going to stay relevant? And nobody ever really talks about that side. Yeah, I mean, and then as you grow and grow and the projects get bigger, the stakes get higher. It's just more and more pressure. Like I really sometimes think about how my career was five years ago when I was in the phase of really training hard and building the skills to become a ski mountaineer and just how awesome it was to be able to go on a long, like even now it's just hard for me to find time to do the long days of training where I'm like out for eight hours a day. Like I had just missed that so much. I can't wait till my next eight hour day in the mountains. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It feels so good to talk to you and just to talk about this because I'm in the same place and I keep trying to make myself go back to four years ago when I was just trying to, just trying to make it, just trying to find a way to get some sponsors so that I could take on cool projects. And it just seemed like, oh, if I could just get there and then you get there and then you're like, oh, okay, well now I have a whole new set of challenges to deal with. And it's not a bad thing at all. It's amazing. And it's a great opportunity, but the growth never stops. And I think that that's the important thing to tease out of that is no matter what you're striving for, there's always going to be growth and things that need to be need to be worked towards. For sure. Yeah. And I'm just trying to continue to remind myself, like not to force it that the best decisions, like the best ideas don't really come out of that place of stress. They come out of the place of just like peaceful acceptance and 
yeah, just like taking a step back from trying to force everything into a box and letting things kind of play out a little bit more organically. Let's talk about one of your most recent humongous goals that you achieved. So I want to talk about the shooting gallery. So can you tell people what the shooting gallery is and what you just accomplished in April? Yeah, so the shooting gallery is this guidebook to steep skiing or ski mountaineering in the Wasatch, which is my home mountain range in Utah. And there's 90 lines in the book that are described. And there are all these shoots and couloirs in the range. And yeah, so in April, I finished a five-year-long project to ski them all and became the fourth person and the first woman to finish the project. So it was really fun. And it meant a lot to me because it was like in my backyard. And so I can see a lot of the lines. I see them all the time when I'm driving up the canyons or even from my house. Yeah, and that's absolutely incredible feat. Like it's 90 lines. I, I got this off of the video follow through that you made with REI, which I'll put in the show notes, but 90 lines, 90, like that's, that's no joke. Like that's a lot of different lines, 130,000 vertical feet of skiing and more than half the slopes are more than 40 degrees. Like I can't even imagine doing one line like that, let alone 90 and let alone that no other woman's done it before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it took me a lot of years to get my, I mean, even to get to the point where I would start attempting the easiest ones, it took me a lot of years of just walking around in the snow and learning about avalanche forecasting because avalanche forecasting is probably like one of the biggest cruxes of ski mountaineering and just learning how to try to be safer in the snow and learning how to deal with snowpack like that probably took me a decade alone. I mean, yeah, it's really gratifying now to look back and uh, see like all the skills and all the growth that went into it. Yeah. Like what made you decide to do the shooting gallery over something else? I mean, a lot of my projects, they don't actually, it's not like I start out and I'm like, I'm going to ski all the lines in the shooting gallery. I just always love looking at guidebooks just in general. And so the first year that I started kind of working on it, it wasn't, I didn't think I'd ever ski all the lines in the book really that first year, but I was just looking at the rating system and they have like three star lines, two star lines, one star lines, just kind of based on the quality of the line and the position and all these things. And it was like springtime. And I realized that I had skied eight out of the 12, three star lines. And so my first little mini project that I did was to ski all the three star lines in a spring. So there are 12 of them. And those were kind of the major uh, veins of the Wasatch that connect the, the range. And so once you have those down, then you know how to get to all the other more obscure ones. And so then I just kept ticking my way through. Also, just because it was an easy thing to look at when I was trying to decide what to do on my days off or on free days or, you know, just in general. And so, um, yeah, so like a lot of my projects, I see that I'm like close to finishing them. And then I decided to make it a goal. Like right now, I was looking at my Strava and I found that I ran 809 miles this year. And I'm trying wow. to get to a thousand by the end of the year. So it's like, you see that you're close and then you just push a little harder to finish it. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I want to get back to your running after we're done talking about the shooting gallery, because I think it's yeah. pretty cool what you've done this year with your running. But going back to the shooting gallery and the fact that you were the first woman to do it there and, and in general with skiing, like number one, I want to talk about the vibe of supporting female skiers, because again, I'm coming from the mountain bike world and I know there's a lot of similarities. So what is it like being a female skier in terms of opportunities and in terms of like how you view yourself in terms of confidence? 
you know, it's so interesting because when I started my ski career, this is something that I felt like was totally taboo to talk about, you know, like gender bias in skiing. And I feel like I purposefully just kind of tried to ignore any sort of things that I felt like based on gender, just because I wanted to push them out of my consciousness so I could just focus on what I was doing. But yeah, I mean, it's been amazing to see like how far the ski and I mean, the hard goods industry in general, how far they've come in the past decade that I've been working in this industry. And so with that said, I think that there's still a long way to go to overcoming the gender bias and to overcoming some of those stereotypes and predispositions that we have about what women are capable of or how strong they are. Or even um, I think that in mountaineering, for instance, that we need to start to celebrate and appreciate the characteristics that women do bring to the mountains. You know, they're the woman's intuition in a lot of cases is um, it's statistically like if you have a woman in your party in avalanche terrain, like you're less likely to have an avalanche accident. And just a woman's style of leadership is really different than what we've celebrated and appreciated before. And so I think that that's one thing where I'd like to continue to see the dialogue shift. Yeah, that's really interesting, the intuition part, because I never have to worry about snow coming down and burying me when I'm out doing my adventures. And I'm interested in mountaineering, ski mountaineering, but I'm afraid of the avalanches. So it's really inspiring for me to hear, number one, that women have a strong intuition. And number two, that that is something that that you can really, really hone in and work on and to do what you've done. Yeah. And I just think it's so important that women continue to put themselves in leadership positions and And really continue to speak up and make their voices heard because oftentimes it's like, yeah, that woman's voice in the party that will make the potentially life-saving decision for the group. And so, yeah, I think in the past that there haven't been as many women in mountaineering and leadership roles, and we're really starting to see that change. Yeah, and I also think that it's an important thing to say that men look up to women, like They do. And in fact, how we view ourselves like this is another topic that I want to get into right now is how we view ourselves relative to other people and what we're capable of. So a lot of times women see another woman do it and they think, oh, I can do that, too. But if they see a man do it, sometimes a woman thinks, well, like not all women, but sometimes women think, well, the guy's doing it, so I can't do it. And similarly, if a man sees a woman do it, he thinks, oh, well, maybe I can do that, too. So I think being a female athlete really brings out the I can do this to culture of people believing that they can try something. But how have you looked at yourself compared to other men? Like when you see a man do something, do you ever feel like, uh, I don't know, he's he's more skilled than me because he's a guy? Well, I grew up with three brothers. And so I'm the third out of four in my immediate family. And then I also have three older half siblings. So I'm kind of a little bit cocky sometimes. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm going to do that. Like, I'm going to ski all these peaks. And in the past, like all these people, they would just be like, you're going to die. You'll never be able to achieve that. And so I think that, but, or like a lot of people, I'm also very petite. Like I'm only five, I'm barely over five feet tall and I'm very small. And so that part has been a challenge for me where like, it took me a lot of training to be able to carry a heavy pack with ropes. And I mean, that's something that I still struggle with is uh, like having to like carrying a heavy pack. And so that is one place where I feel like sometimes I'm jealous of the really big guys that have a really long stride 
and um, they're able just to so easily carry a lot of weight. But then I think that when the train gets steeper, that my height and my petite stature actually becomes a great asset for me because I feel much more comfortable in steep technical terrain, whether I'm climbing up or skiing down. And so it kind of balances out. Yeah. And I also think that taking the advantage of being smaller and applying that to any sport is a good thing because like even in cycling guys wish that they were shorter or skinnier or whatever because it does affect some of the things that you're doing in your sport in a positive way I guess (laughs) for sure yeah I mean I would just get so discouraged like when before I had the skills to lead my own groups in the mountains I would get really discouraged when I would ask to join another party of guys going out to ski a line I wanted to ski and they would be like no you won't be able to keep up or it's a boys day (laughs) And that was hard for me to get over, like the feeling of exclusion or like that was a challenge for sure. Yeah. But do you think that having that challenge motivated you even more to be like, no, like I'm, I'm going to do this? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it made it so that I had to learn the skills to lead my own groups and to lead my own party and to do all the route finding and time planning and, and risk management and everything myself. But it would have been so much easier if someone would have like helped me. Or I mean, there are people who helped me along the way. But if some of those guys like would have been a little bit more welcoming or I wish that there was more of an inclusive culture, especially in the Wasatch backcountry and ski mountaineering community. Yeah. Well, I think that by just doing what you're doing and leading by example, that's going to create more positive change. Yeah, for sure. I hope so. I mean, I hope that it'll be easier for people in the future who want to do these kinds of things to get into it. So what do you do, though, when someone says to you, don't go do that because you're going to die? Like, how do you how do you deal with those feelings of fear? Because I'm sure it still kind of makes you nervous and the self-doubt and all of those things. Yeah. So, I mean, I lost a really good friend of mine three years ago in an avalanche in Patagonia. And um, this guy this year, he's like, you're going to end up like Liz. And when you do, we're going to have a big party. And again, I don't know. It takes it. Those kinds of things are really distressing and they really affected my head space. And it made me just want to strive to get more avalanche. Like it made me want to take my avalanche level three class, like get the highest level of training so that I could feel that I had the best training and all the best tools to help me make the safest decisions for me and my parties. So, I mean, it definitely pushed me to hold myself to like a really high level. But again, like I wish that I never had to deal with people saying that kind of stuff because it is like it feels like a punch to the gut. I mean, it's hard to get back up when you get knocked down like that. Yeah. And psychologically, because you're putting your life on the Internet, I'm assuming this was said on the Internet, like the Internet trolls and the people that are out there that are just jealous what you've accomplished and that you've worked so hard to get to. How do you deal with all the all the trolls? And and what do you do when somebody says that to you? Like, how do you proceed? Yeah. So in the past, like I would just kind of delete the person and block them. But then they would just make up a new account and then they'd be more angry. And so my new thing that I'm doing is just like leaving those comments up there. And if it's really upsetting, you know, I like will recruit my community to go in and comment and respond to those people as sort of like a bystander intervention so that I don't have to be in a direct like, you know, I ask them as much as possible to be kind and to like be compassionate in their responses and not to be like 
you know, violent or threatening because I don't want to see it go that way. But, you know, to really ask my community to come in and support me. And that's been kind of a game changer in terms of silencing those people. And it's like the exact opposite. It's like that those comments, you just want them to go away like you want to bury them or sweep them under the rug as quickly as possible. But to do the opposite, to like let them stand and to air it out and to hold those people accountable for what they said, that actually has been a lot more effective in kind of like overcoming and also preventing that sort of behavior. Yeah. And also, it's really hard to not believe. I mean, when people say mean things online, it's like, you know, it's not true, but sometimes it gets in there and you start believing it a little bit or the insecure part. I'm, I'm speaking for myself personally, and maybe you, you haven't had this experience, but like if somebody says something bad, it's like, you know, it's not true. But the little insecure teenager that still exists inside of all of us is like, oh, well, crap, maybe that person's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't I think that any psychologist or any professional will tell you, like, no matter how self-assured or confident of a person you are that those kinds of things have an emotional toll and they do a lot of damage to us psychologically. And so I don't think that that it admits that you're insecure to say that those things affect you. I think that, that it's very normal to be affected by those sorts of things. And that's why I think it's so important to hold those people accountable because the whole thing is like everyone says, haters gonna hate, don't listen to any of that. But I think that it's like, saying like haters gonna hate it's like saying boys are gonna be boys like as a justification for sexual harassment or something like that like it's it doesn't hold people accountable for their actions and I think it's far more powerful to admit that those words like they cut and they hurt and that the people who say I'm like we need to kind of stop that sort of thing from happening and to kind of create a better culture on the internet for everybody not just for us but for like the kids and for future pro athletes and yeah, just for humanity. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to deal with it. And that's something that I haven't thought of is recruiting the people that do know you to fight back on your behalf in some ways and to show that, hey, like comments like this will not be tolerated and this is not acceptable. Yeah, and it's like having the community step in and self-regulate itself, like self-regulate, that is going to pave the path for what is acceptable and appropriate behavior in these sort of online forums. And so I think that that's a good way to start changing it. Yeah, and so it's so much the opposite of what you would think to do and the opposite of what I did for so many years dealing with it. But uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So like when you're on top, you've hiked and climbed your way to the top of one of these lines in the shooting gallery. We'll just use that as an example. And sometimes there's times where you have to go back. You have to make the decision that, OK, today is not the day. So how do you like how do you do that? Because you work so hard to get to that spot and is there. And how do you just make that decision that, OK, no, like I'm not doing it today? You know, it's usually pretty easy because like I well, I'm really picky about the partners that I go out with. And so I just make sure that from the get go, we have really good communication. But in in avalanche science, there's like a couple different, there's this acronym that we use sometimes called ALP Truth. And it's like, uh, when three, it's an acronym to stand for like avalanches, wind loading, just like what, like different kinds of conditions that they see are present in avalanche accidents. And when three or more of the conditions are there, it's like those are when most, the, like three or more conditions are present in most avalanche accidents. And so 
a lot of times if, if there's any question about the snow stability or about the condition of the line, like it's really easy to turn back because this stuff isn't worth dying for, you know, and on a Kular where you're skiing over a cliff or something really steep, even a small avalanche could kill you. And so there's like a moment of disappointment, but I usually bounce back from it pretty quick because it's like, you can always come back another day unless you're dead. So it's just par for the course. It's just the way that it goes. And uh, if people don't understand, like, yeah, you just, all of my sponsors and people that I work with understand that. But what about the other element of fear? Because you say, say that the snow is fine and you get up there and you look down and you're like, wow, that's a lot steeper or a lot scarier than I thought it was going to be. And you're worried about your ability to ski it. Have you gotten to that point when you're in one of those those lines? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been times where like the snow maybe is a lot icier than you think it is or something like that. And so in those times, like I try to have a lot of tools at my disposal where if it's too steep to ski and my edges aren't holding, like before I try to make that next turn, like I might take my skis off, put my crampons on and down climb. And mm -hmm. if it gets too steep to down climb, I usually have a rope and I can usually set up the rope and make a rappel. And so it's like just being able to kind of anticipate those transitions and being really mindful of like where you're at and what risk you're willing to take on. And just not being afraid to be like, no, I'm not going to like fear is fine. And it's like you have to trust your own instincts and limitations because it's not like I'm this super brave person. Like I'm actually really I'm, I'm really scared all the time. And so it leads me to always be visualizing the worst case scenario and always be having all these backup plans so that I can make it feel safer for myself. Yeah, but I don't think that being brave means that you don't have fear. I think that it's the opposite. I think you're an incredibly brave person. And being brave means that you can feel the fear, you can know what to do in those situations when you when you feel afraid and knowing the right time to push it and the right time to say, you know what, I'm going to put my crampons on and I'm, I'm going to go down this way. Like, I think that's what being brave is. It's, it's being able to make those decisions. And it's being able to be comfortable when you're feeling afraid, like, most people don't even put themselves in a situation so that they feel afraid, let alone like somebody saying, oh, well, you're not brave if you feel fear. I think, yeah, I just I have to be like, just really trust my own instincts about where I, I think that that is actually one of the hardest things is to like let go of what the team and, you know, what everyone else thinks you should do and be able to like make a decision that's best for you. Uh, yeah, I'm a little stubborn like that sometimes where I'm just like, nope, not going to do it. I'm out. Peace. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens in mountain biking, too. Like, of course, the things that we're doing on a bike is not really the same thing as what you, you can't compare it to skiing some of the lines that you're skiing. But once you get started, you can't stop on some of this really steep stuff mm. and having the self-preservation and knowing like when to push it and when not to push it. It's hard yeah. to do. And also being kind with yourself when you didn't do it. And I mean, you can people can take that and apply that anywhere in their life. Like when they decide, OK, maybe I'm not going to do this. And then being OK with that decision. I think that is the best point is like, you know, you see with skiing, like people get injured a lot because they take that one extra run at the end of the day when their legs are really tired. And when I've been in that position, I'm like, I'm just going to go in and have a hot cocoa, you know, and I'll see you guys like when I was up and coming, I'll see you guys like when you're done with that next run. And 
I think that that's a skill that just takes a lot of time and experience to develop. And for me, like, I just love to ski so much that I'm terrified of being injured because it would keep me out of the mountains. And I just want to like, I just love to be in the mountains. So I think it comes out of that fear of getting injured is that like, I just want to be able, I will cut it short or not push myself maybe sometimes as much as I could, because I want to get up the next day and do it again. But I also think that confidence plays in there too, because if you feel like you have something to prove to everybody around you, you might take that extra run or you might ride that extra little downhill section because you feel like, oh, well, people are going to think more of me if I do this. And being okay with not doing that, I think takes a confident person. Yeah, I never really thought of it that way. I just thought that I was weak because I didn't have the strength to keep going all day, but I'll take it. I, I'll go with that. Sure, it takes the confidence. Um, no, it, yeah. it really does. Yeah, I think it's a skill that's just like, it's a really important thing for a athlete that does like these, you know, these riskier things to have. But even if you're not doing risky things, knowing when to push and knowing when to hold back and being able to like, that, that just takes a lot of experience and a lot of time. And um, yeah, it's a hard thing to develop for sure. For me, like another rule of thumb I use is like, three strikes and you go home and it could just be like a bad feeling or like a little tickle in my throat or that I'm tired or jet lagged or whatever. But if there are any like three factors that I feel like are off, then I go home and come back and try it another day. Yeah. And I think it's great for people to hear that because of the, the nature of putting our highlight reels online and in our stories and things, I think people forget that. Yeah. Like people turn around and people go back and that it's okay to do that. I think like there's so many lines in the shooting gallery that took me like two or three tries before I got them because of route finding or weather or whatever it was. And so I wanted that to be part of the story more, but it was kind of hard to fit everything into the edit. So it's like it sometimes takes a lot of tries to get those lines to ski them. Yeah. So like going back to the follow through video and a bunch of the other content that you create, do you have your own personal photographer or like, how do you manage that part of your business? Yeah. So, I mean, I work with a lot of ski photographers and outdoor photographers for my sponsors. And then my boyfriend is, he likes to take photos. And then, you know, some of my friends who are influencers, like we'll take photos of each other and share them. And then I do some photography myself. So it's kind of a combination of like professional photographers and then more point and shoot, like run and gun style. And then stuff I shoot myself. Yeah, I, I think you have awesome content. And I want to talk about your summer and the things that you do in the summer, because as a skier, this, the season is, I mean, unless you're traveling to find snow constantly, the season is actually quite short. And you do so many different things besides skiing. So I had a coach for like a year, a couple of years ago, and he has trained many like great mountaineers and alpinists. And um, he would kind of caution me against spending too much time in like the big mountains and the high alpine because if you expose yourself to it all the time, it's kind of like Russian roulette, you know, like eventually, no matter how safe or how well trained you are, something is going to catch up with you. So he would really encourage me to do like two days of training a week at the gym instead of like putting myself out there in the big mountains. And so that kind of philosophy of like cross training and sort of saving those bigger things, like not doing them all the time that has really stuck with me. Yeah, because like now, instead of being a ski mountaineer adventurer, you're doing adventures all over. Like you just did a bikepacking trip in Maine. It was in Maine, right? Yeah, we biked from Maine to Vermont. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that like that was a lot of miles. Like, how did you feel doing that? And how did you take some of your confidence and and ability and translate that to that adventure? Yeah, I mean, actually, it reminded me a lot of like doing big back to back days at a backcountry ski lodge in Canada or something, where it's just like, I'm finally at the point where I feel really like I'm fit and I'm healthy. And I just, I loved it. It felt very indulgent to be able to spend like all day, every day, just biking a lot of miles. And so um, just all those things of like, I guess all the training and just also the headspace of being an endurance athlete and just knowing that your body is capable of so much more than you could ever fathom. So like when you have a little ache and pain, just seeing how it feels in the morning or not like freaking out, like, oh my gosh, the trip is over for me because my knee hurts or when it feels hard, not like thinking about all the miles you have left, but just trying to focus on keep like pedaling one pedal stroke at a time, like that kind of stuff really came in handy. And yeah, I was just really happy to do it. It was, it was really fun. And biking is really nice on the knees as well. So it was great. (laughs) Yeah. And you do such a good job of putting all your adventures on your Instagram and in the story. So you guys listening, definitely check out Caroline's Instagram because she's, she's awesome. Um, But I want to talk about your 50k race that you did. Okay. (laughs) The the running race. I didn't actually do a 50K. I did a marathon, but it was a trail marathon that had like 8,000 feet of elevation. And it was mostly over, it was 10 to 12,000 feet in elevation. Oh my gosh. Brutal. So it was pretty hard. And it was my first time. I always wanted to run a marathon for a lot of years. Like I wasn't even able to run just because like skiing is so much wear and tear on your joints and especially on your knees. And so like for so many years of my life, like I could running was not available to me as a cross training option, but it always, especially mountain running has always captured my imagination. And I think it will translate really well to ski mountaineering this year. But, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome to be able to run that distance. Like I, I had so much fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And like the adventure of like, what is it like? Because you've seen all these mountains, in the winter on your skis and the world is a really different place between two seasons. Like the forest looks completely different. The terrain looks completely different. So like mentally, what was that like seeing it in a different light? Yeah. So the race I did was actually in the Tusher mountain range in Southern Utah. And so it wasn't, I'd never been there before. And the race that I did, it was like this ultra adventure series race. They put together these really cool races in Utah and like in a lot of yeah, just some Western locations. And the course was like a giant loop through the mountains. So you never ran the same part of it twice. Cool. It was just like, it was so much fun. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, it was really joyful. And then it was so nice not to have to worry about like how, I mean, cause normally when I go mountaineering, I have to like pack my food for the day and think about hydration and nutrition and everything myself. And with the race, it was just awesome to have the aid stations and also just the camaraderie of all the other people. Like I had no idea how much it would push and motivate me. Yeah. that's <laughs> So like, what kind of food do you take for like ski mountaineering? Yeah. Like sometimes I'm really lazy and I just, I just pack like a bar and then I'm like pretty hungry, you know? <laughs> Like, it depends on the day. If I'm just going out for two or three hours, I don't really bring much of anything, maybe just a gel. But if for a longer day, you know, I try to pack a lunch or I try to pack some pizza or it just depends. Usually like a bar, a gel, pizza. And then, you know, if it's a big, much bigger day, a couple other little snacks. But yeah, I don't really, 
I wish that I had, I mean, like banana Nutella or banana peanut butter sandwich. That's a good go-to or egg salad sandwich. But I don't, it's nothing too fancy, really. <laughs> and like, how do you keep your water from freezing? Because when I go fat biking, my uh, my water freezes. <laughs> yeah, so I usually just wrap it up in a puffy in my backpack. Or if you're going someplace really cold, you can use a insulated mug or an insulated water bottle. And that'll keep it from freezing. The, the the water bottle has its own puffy so cute <laughs> yeah they make these little sleeves like for people that go to alaska but most of the time in the wasatch or even in canada i don't have too much of a problem with it or um if it starts to get frozen i'll just put it in my in like a drop pocket in my jacket and warm it up that way and like you've skied all over the world like what's your favorite type of terrain well i love exploring like the glaciers the steep like glaciated terrain of the world like I love seeing glaciers because uh we don't have them here and I didn't grow up like seeing any glaciers and so that's definitely like being around big glaciers it's really scary but that's probably what I'm most inspired by cool and um I'm just doing a little bit of a lightning round because we have to wrap it up what are some movies people can watch you if they want to watch some rad skiing movies yeah, so follow through. I would definitely recommend starting with that. And that's um, if you Google REI follow through, it's on YouTube and Vimeo. And so that one is was like a total labor of love. And I feel like it tells my story really well. And then last year, I made a short video for Gore-Tex with Leah Evans. So you could check that out online on Cortex's channel. And then the year before that, I did a trip to Alaska for Patagonia called AK Girls Way. That's another fun short video to check out. And I've been in a couple of Warren Miller films as well. I've been in Chasing Shadows and Like There's No Tomorrow. Awesome. Very cool. That sounds like there's a lot of good stuff for people to watch and raise their stoke, especially because it's snowing in a lot of places. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so excited for winter. Woohoo! Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like, it was awesome to get to chat with you one on one. Yeah. And hopefully, we can go mountain biking sometime. I don't think, I think that sounds terrifying, but <laughs> it's perfect <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah, maybe if you take me on some really easy thing. Um, but yeah, it was awesome to catch up with you. And I'm really grateful for you having me on the show. So, thank you so much. Cool. We'll see you later. Have a good one. Caroline is awesome. You guys definitely need to connect with her. Go on her Instagram at Caroline Glag. Check out her website. Watch her movies. Definitely get out there and go skiing. I actually started skiing this year, but I haven't been doing any ski mountaineering type stuff, just cross-country skate skiing, but that's a really great compliment for my races. And speaking of races, wow, my race season is starting very soon. In January, I'm doing my first race of the year, a five-day mountain bike race called the Trans Andes, which I've done a couple times before. It's really fun. It's a really cool adventure, and my husband, Matt, is going with me. And in February, I'm doing another stage race called the Andalusia Stage Race. It's in southern Spain. Spain, where most of the olives in the entire world come from. And I definitely love Andalusia olives and I'll be eating those. But the race is going to be interesting because last time I did it was a few years ago with teammate Kate Ardal. And it's a new format now. It's a solo race and it's a point to point race. So I'm going to get to see different spots and race solo and just have a total blast. Having those races on the radar has really motivated me to kick my training into high gear. And I've been really proud of my consistency and also just my commitment to training. Sometimes I am not nearly as committed as a quote professional athlete should be 
because I have a lot of other projects that I'm really excited about, like the different products I'm creating, this podcast, my writing, and there's some plant-based courses that I'm working on. So that's a little secret for you guys, but there's nothing available yet. But lots of people are always asking me about that stuff. So you guys have motivated me and now I'm going to try and create a course. One thing I did forget to mention is that this podcast is now available on Spotify. I love Spotify. I do all of my bike playlists on there. So when I'm riding the trainer and I'm rocking out, I'm listening to Spotify. But you can also listen to my podcast there. So check it out if you're not an Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or Google Play person. Spotify is really easy to use. Hopefully you guys are having really fun winter adventures. The winter has just begun. And I hope that you enjoy the holidays with your friends and family. It's really special that we get to spend that with our friends and family. And even whenever things are challenging with friends and family, as it happens, I hope that you can get outside and have some really fun adventures. And with that said, wishing you all the best success in your training and your adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.